Expert Insights is an ongoing medical education podcast. The Carl Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please click on the link and complete the episode's post-test. This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Welcome to Expert Insights with the Carl Foundation Hospital. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing GERD. Joining me is Autumn Ward. She's a nurse practitioner who specializes in digestive health at the Carl Foundation Hospital. Autumn, I'm so glad to have you with us. What a prevalent problem this is. Tell us a little bit about GERD and how common it is. Thank you for having me. So GERD, or gastroesophageal reflux disease, is definitely one of the most common and chronic gastrointestinal diseases. And it is thought that up to at least 20% of the U.S. population has a diagnosis of GERD. It definitely can have an impact on a individual's life, including physical activity, social functioning, disturbing sleep patterns, which then in turn can affect anyone's daily activities, productivity at work. So it definitely is a very common problem. GERD is caused by the flow of gastric or stomach contents upwards into the esophagus that results in both symptoms and possible complications. The most common symptoms of GERD are heartburn, which is the burning sensation in the chest behind the breastbone, and regurgitation, which is the feeling of fluid or food coming up into the chest. Many people can experience both of these symptoms, but some people can have one without the other. That's interesting, and I'm glad you pointed that out, because many people assume that heartburn is GERD, which sometimes we can get periodic heartburn that doesn't necessarily reflect gastroesophageal reflux disease. So tell us a little bit about when it's important to diagnose this issue and talk about diagnostics for us, Autumn, because we get our colonoscopies for the lower ends of our body, really, as a screening. But the screening situation for GERD is definitely not the same. So speak about diagnostics a little for us. Yeah, well, first of all, a big question. Acid reflux, GERD, and heartburn are typically used interchangeably, but they have different meanings. Heartburn is a symptom of GERD. GERD itself is a diagnosis defined as regular symptoms, which occur two or more times a week, caused by the flow of gastric contents into the esophagus. And then acid reflux is the reason why patients have GERD. Diagnosis of GERD typically can be done based on physical and history alone. However, when talking to your primary doctor or your gastroenterologist, there are times where we need to evaluate these symptoms a little bit further, especially if you are having heartburn two or more times a week, you're taking over-the-counter medications, and symptoms are not improving. We want to also use diagnostics not only if you are having heartburn and not improving with medications, but if you ever have trouble swallowing, dysphagia, bleeding, or choking episodes. So some of the studies that we can do is an upper GI series, and that's where a patient would be asked to swallow a liquid barium mixture, and then a radiologist takes a series of pictures and videos to watch the barium travel into the esophagus. An upper endoscopy, which is probably the most common study that most providers would send patients to us for would be 
passing the lighted flexible tube into the mouth, into the esophagus and stomach to examine for abnormalities. And this test is done with the aid of sedatives. And there is also pH testing, which measures the amount of acid or fluid refluxing into the esophagus and can be helpful with the diagnosis and treatment of GERD. We do use a Bravo pH monitoring test here. It does take some coordination with scheduling because it is placed endoscopically, but it is a capsule that is placed into the esophagus and can measure the amount of acid being refluxed into the esophagus. There is also esophageal manometry testing that is measuring the contractions of the esophagus. Well, thank you for the comprehensive list of the testing that you're doing at Carl Foundation Hospital. And before we get into some more of the medical therapies, tell us about your team, Autumn, the people that work around you that are doing the endoscopies and the barium swallows and everything you just discussed. So we are a team of eight gastroenterologists. I believe we have about 10 advanced practice providers, which include nurse practitioners and physician assistants. The gastroenterologists are the ones who will do all the endoscopies, and then we also have nurses that will do the pH testing and manometry testing, working with the gastroenterologist physician. Very multidisciplinary team. You know, that's the approach that we need when these GI issues arise. Tell us a little bit about some of the updated medical therapies. What are you doing for people after the diagnostic tests and you've ruled that they do have GERD, then what? What are some of the treatments available today? Well, certainly the number one discussion is lifestyle modifications. Patients can have certain foods, and there are known certain foods and beverages that can trigger reflux. Chocolate, coffee, peppermint, greasy or spicy foods, tomato products, alcohol can also lower the lower esophageal sphincter pressure and can contribute to acid reflux. If you are a smoker, the number one discussion that we will have with patients is to stop smoking. Tobacco can result in acid reflux and is one of the biggest risk factors for esophageal cancer. Weight loss is also encouraged if overweight. Excessive abdominal fat is one of the biggest risk factors for heartburn. Waiting at least two or three hours after eating before laying down is also recommended. Gravity is one of our biggest protections against acid reflux. So keeping the head of the bed elevated at an angle is also very helpful for nighttime symptoms. There are numerous over-the-counter medications that we can use for the treatment of occasional heartburn. These medications help to neutralize the acid in the stomach. You know, medications such as Tums and Mylanta, and these can provide quick relief, but alone do not heal an inflamed esophagus. So then you'll also have the medications, the H2 blockers and PPI therapy. H2 blockers have been around since the mid-70s in the treatment of GERD or reflux disease, and these help improve symptoms of heartburn and regurgitation. We know them commonly as ranitidine or famotidine. And H2 blockers are generally a little less expensive than proton pump inhibitors or the PPIs, but it can serve definitely as initial treatment or maintenance therapies in reflux disease with mild symptoms. So then we also have the PPIs, our proton pump inhibitors, omeprazole, pantoprazole, and these are stronger acid blockers than the H2. They allow time for damage of esophageal tissue to heal. This medication is designed to decrease the amount of acid in the stomach and is better at healing ulcers in the esophagus and stomach as well. 
Um, they are typically required to achieve effective long-term maintenance therapy in a significant number of patients with heartburn and reflux disease. Both of the H2 blockers and PPIs are available over-the-counter at a lower dose. Many patients will need higher dosage, which is a prescription. Those are our standard treatments that many people know about. I'm not sure if this will come to fruition or, you know, where it will be, but there is a new medication, potassium competitive acid blockers or PCABs that are being used in the Asian countries, I think since about 2015. Vonoprazen is the name of the medication and it's a more potent, longer acting than traditional PPIs. And they, it has been used for the treatment of gastric and duodenal ulcers, healing reflux esophagitis and prevention of relapse. However, it is unclear if this will be an appropriate and safe long-term lifelong treatment. And so I think there's more to come with this medication. What about surgical interventions, Autumn? Just briefly touch on some of the ones that your team is doing at the Carl Foundation Hospital. So there are surgical options available for patients who just don't respond to medical therapy and have had adverse reactions. Um, Fundiplication is a surgical intervention that can be done. There is also the Lynx device, which is a ring of tiny magnets that can wrap around the junction of the stomach and esophagus. And that magnetic traction is strong enough to keep the junction closed for prevention of reflux, but weak enough to allow food to pass through. With any surgical intervention, there's definitely going to be additional testing that's required Definitely an upper endoscopy, pH testing, manometry likely. So it's very important for a collaborative process with the gastroenterologist and the surgery team before pursuing a surgical intervention. It's great information. So wrap it up for us. What would you like listeners, other providers to know about gastroesophageal reflux disease and what you are doing at the Carroll Foundation Hospital? I think very important. Heartburn is common, but it is not a trivial condition. If you're experiencing heartburn two or three times a week, that could be reflux disease and definitely should not be ignored. If left untreated, long-standing, severe chronic heartburn, reflux disease can be associated with precancerous changes such as Barrett's esophagus and esophageal cancer. So definitely should not be ignored. And if there's any concern, primary care physicians can refer patients to GI for evaluation can also order upper endoscopies for us to proceed with that for an evaluation as well. So definitely very important to not ignore these symptoms in these patients. Thank you so much, Autumn, for joining us today for more information. And to get connected with one of our providers, you can visit carl.org. Or for a listing of Carl providers and to view Carl-sponsored educational activities, please visit our website at carlconnect.com. That concludes this episode of Expert Insights with the Carl Foundation Hospital. I'm Melanie Cole.